Would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3? We are in a sermon series called, Thus Says the Lord, A Word from the Prophets. So the big portion of your Bible in the Old Testament is called the Book of the Prophets, and there's a lot of them that are there. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jonah, some of these people you've heard before, Daniel, those are prophets. So during this sermon series, during this time of our church, I've been going through the different prophets and picking out their messages. Today, we're going to go to the prophet Ezekiel and learn about his message to be a watchman. Somebody say, God has made me a watchman. Amen. So go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16, as you'll find out that this is not just for Ezekiel, it is for us. Now, to know a little bit about Ezekiel, Ezekiel lived in a time where Israel, the nation of God's people, had already been judged and brought into captivity. He is actually not living in his country anymore. He's living in the country they have brought him to. So imagine God judging America and then bringing us to live in China. If you ever wondered why Daniel got thrown into a lion's den? It's because Daniel was kidnapped from his country, brought to Babylon. If you ever wondered how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a fire for not bowing to an idol, that was because they were kidnapped and brought to live in Babylon. Ezekiel is one of those guys. He can relate to being in a place he necessarily does not want to be, and he can relate to being around people who are living wickedly. Those Babylonians did not keep the command commands of God. They did not live by the laws that Moses was given. They were idol worshipers. They were perverse. They lived however they wanted to live. And as a matter of fact, they worshiped their leaders as God. If you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the statue the leader wanted them to bow down to was a statue of himself as their God. And these three Hebrew boys said, we're not bowing down to that. And they said, well, if you don't bow down to this man's statue, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, make him your God, then we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they didn't do that, and they got thrown into a fiery furnace. But how many know God knows how to be there with you in the middle of the fires? So as they were in the fire, the man said, it looks like there's four of them. How many do we throw in there? And they said, well, we only threw three of them in there. He said, oh, man, that must be something else because the fourth one looks like the son of God, an angel in there. And we know that was Jesus, before Jesus came into the earth, Jesus has always been the Son of God. Him coming in the flesh was special so that he could walk among us, but he has always existed. As long as the Father has existed, the Father and the Son have been together. And as long as the Father and Son have been together, the Holy Spirit's been with them. There are not three gods. There's one God revealed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. That's why Jesus taught us when we baptize. We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So going back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel's in a tough time, but God's got an answer for him. It may not be the answer he wanted. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And by the way, I've been playing the children's version of Monopoly with my kids, and I think it's a fun game, and I love beating them and teaching them about finances. And then when they beat me, they can say, man, I beat Daddy, you know, I give, you know, because I don't give it to them. They have to earn that. Well, one of the things that we like to get is the get-out-of-jail-free card because who likes to be in jail when they play Monopoly? Nobody, right? Unless you're losing, you don't want to go around the board anymore. You like to camp out in jail. So we made a rule against that anyways. 
But you get this card that says, I get out of jail free card. Well, Ezekiel probably wanted that when he's in Babylon. He wanted God probably to say to him in these first few verses, it's chapter 3, it's right at the beginning of what God is saying to him. He probably wanted God to say at the end of the seven days, son of man, I'm taking you out of this nation. I'm bringing you back home. You're going to be able to eat all your own food again. You're going to be around your friends. You're going to get back to normal life. But that's not the word he gets. A lot of times in our lives, God knows we're in trouble, but he's not giving us the word to eject us out of the trouble. He's giving us the word to handle the trouble, to be in the midst of the trouble. Some of you wish that you could eject out of the Trump presidency. Well, now you know how I feel during the Obama presidency, okay? So guess what? I didn't get to eject from that, so you don't get to eject from this. You've got to go through it. Some of you wish you could eject out of your job, but you know that you can, otherwise you won't have any money, right? So you need to know how to get along in your job. Well, there's something that's really important right now that we all need to understand that Ezekiel was going through, and we need to know how to live in a world that's wicked, because we can't just eject out of a wicked world. You can't just leave right now and go to some abandoned, you know, some deserted island and go try to start your life there. You could, but you would do nothing for the, the culture. We have to stay and be part of the change. The Bible said Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, you are the light of the world. So if we all leave, then what's going to happen to Chicago? If we all move to Indiana, what's going to happen here? Come on, Right? And then some people, their problems are going to follow them. So Indiana's probably like, I don't want all you Chicagoans. You guys stay there. The quiet little laugh, but we know that's a little bit true, right? Like some surrounding areas are like, y'all got some problems there. You stay there, right? But here's the deal. God says, I want you to be here, but I want you to be a part of the solution. That's why he called him a watchman. And you're going to learn the passage. I'm going to read it uninterrupted in just a moment. But let me just give you the key to the passage. He says, I've called you to be a watchman. In those days, they had cities that were surrounded by walls, obvious to protect you, right? You don't want those walls. Uh, you have those walls because you don't want everybody coming in. And they would assign people there up on the walls to watch stuff, okay? So what would the watchmen do? They would watch, man. That's what they would do. Get the man up there to watch something. It could be a watchwoman. Just get up there, look out, and see if the enemy's coming. And then if you see the enemy, tell us. Now, how many know if you put somebody up there and they fell asleep and the enemy came, you'd be upset with them? That's the part of this story you got to get. He's saying to him, Ezekiel, I've called you to be a watchman. And it's not just for Ezekiel, as we'll learn in this message, but he's called all Christians to be watchmen for this generation and tell the world about the judgment of God that's coming. So instead of us watching to see an enemy come, we're supposed to be watchmen and watching Jesus come. Does everybody get that distinction there? We're not watching the devil come because the devil didn't make the earth. He can't end the earth. The devil didn't start this thing, so he can't end it. What we are supposed to be watching for is Jesus coming. Jesus said he would come back. As he went up into heaven in clouds, he's coming back in clouds. So the word that Ezekiel is going to get is be a watchman and tell them about my coming. Now notice this, Ezekiel's hundreds of years before Jesus, so he had to tell them about Jesus's first coming, the Messiah coming the first time. Remember John the Baptist came? He said, I'm not the one. They thought he was the Messiah. He said, I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of the one that's coming after me. But he says, I was sent to prepare the way of the prepare the way of the Lord. He had a preparation ministry, a preparation ministry, a forerunning ministry. He was a forerunner. Now, 
if John the Baptist had a ministry of preparation for Jesus' first coming, who do you think has the ministry of preparation for his second coming? Us, the church, the whole church, not just one person named John the Baptist. The entire church of Jesus Christ has been here since Christ has left 2,000 years. We are here awaiting his return. Now, you want to think of a cool example, young people, because the Bible says we're the light of the earth, the light of the world, and we're here until his return. I like to look at it when you see the dark uh, airports and the planes coming down. What do they do? They put the lights on the runway and let the plane know where to land. Of course, God knows how to come. Back on his own, but I like to think of it that I'm lighting up the runway for Jesus. When Jesus is coming back to a dark world, when there's terrible times and there's evil and all those things, he was telling us the truth when he prophesied. But now, as he's coming back, I want him to see that there are faithful lights and answers to what he made his prayers for here. He prayed. He said, Father, send forth laborers because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I want to be here as a light of the world, lighting up his path as he comes working in the kingdom. Anybody else want to do that? Amen. Let's go to the scripture. I'll read it uninterrupted, and then I'll explain it, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it before we go. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, talking about Ezekiel, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Did it say give them tickling messages? Tell them whatever you want to tell them? No, give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, what kind of person? Wicked person, thank you, you shall surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold who accountable? I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. What will you do for yourself? Saved yourself. Look at verse 20 again. When a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold who accountable for their blood? You accountable for their blood. Thank you. Last verse, verse 21, but if you do warn the righteous person not to sin and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you will have saved yourself. What we have done for yourself? Saved yourself. Thank you. Two types of people mentioned in this passage. There is the wicked and there is the righteous. Come on. There is the wicked and there is the righteous. Are there any other kinds of people on the earth according to the Bible? No, that's it. Wicked and righteous. As a watchman, he's given a message for both of them. Notice that the message is for both of them not to live in sin. The wicked one is now in sin, hence why they're called the wicked one, the wicked person. He tells them not to sin. They, do, they listen. That's awesome. And that means they're not going to be wicked anymore. They'll go from being wicked to what? Righteous. Got it. And then everybody's happy. But if he doesn't warn them, they're still wicked. They die, suffer, and punishment will go to hell. We'll talk about that, what this all means with heaven and hell in a minute. But it just says they will perish, you know, and that's talking about judgment. But it says if you do not warn them, they'll go to hell. That's true. But upon your hands, there will be what? 
blood on your hands. Have you ever heard that saying before? Your blood's not on my hands, or I'm clean from the blood of your life, you know, whatever. I'm not responsible. That's a biblical saying. Okay, now notice this. It wasn't his job to change the wicked person. It was his job as the, the watchman, look at the example, to shout out to the wicked person, hey, God's judgment is coming. Stop sinning. Don't be wicked anymore. How many get that part of the message? Really simple, right? Second person he's supposed to speak to is the righteous person. Now, why is he supposed to speak to the righteous person? Because righteous people can stop being righteous and start being wicked. Just like the wicked can stop being wicked and become what? Righteous, the wicked, or rather the righteous can stop being righteous and start being what? Wicked. So what does he say? God says, tell them if you start sinning now as a righteous person, your deeds will not be remembered. This is why we teach in this church that once you're saved, you are not always saved. You must hold on to your faith until you meet Jesus. And I'll show you that in a few other scriptures. So just because you have been righteous at one point, you have accepted Christ into your life, because by the way, that's the only way you can be righteous according to the Bible. You can't do it by being a good person. No one is good enough. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't think you are wicked by default, let me just give you the good person test. How many lies have you told this, this week? How many times have you taken something that doesn't belong to you? in your life? How many times have you taken the name of the Lord in vain? How many times have you been angry this week? How many times have you lusted in your heart? You take all the sins you commit a day and a week. You times that by the years you're alive. I have figured it out on average. Each human being, on average, the good people, sin about 50,000 times a lifetime. So you think you're going to stand before God and say, I'm a righteous person? According to God, one sin in your life makes you wicked. Talk to Adam and Eve and see how that went with them, right? Did they sin 50,000 times in the garden? Did they lie and lie and lie and sin and do that? No, they sin one time and God goes, wicked, you're out of righteous category, you're into wicked category. So if we could only be made righteous by Jesus and the blood of Jesus as the New Testament teaches to the cross, because they're all looking towards the cross as a point in history that they want to see come to pass, we now look back on the cross as something that's already happened. But if you look at both the Old and the New Testament, what brings them together? The cross. What image am I making right now? Oh, come on. I worked hard for that. You got the Old Testament over here, the New Testament over here. Who's in the middle? Jesus and the cross. Okay, so I know it's not that impressive, okay, but I'm trying up here. So Jesus is the hope of the Old Testament, the hope of the New Testament. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. It's that simple. So if you are here today, how does this apply to you? Let's start with me being the watchman speaking to you, Okay. If you're wicked here today, you need to stop sinning and come to Jesus, otherwise you will perish. Now by me teaching you that, I am free from the blood of your soul. What did that mean when that was brought up? What that means is on judgment day, we will stand alone before God, but the world will watch us. We will watch the entire world be judged. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know if it will be boring. I don't know what's going to be, what it's going to be like. But it says people are going to be there. So for all of you here, when you go before God and I'm in the vicinity, as you're being judged, if you're wicked and you're being sentenced to hell, I will look at my hands and go, I told you, I'm free from your guilt. I told that was up to you now. I told you everything I could tell you. But the opposite is true. That's what he's told. Ezekiel's told this. But if you don't tell them, yeah, they'll still go to hell, and you're still 
a Christian, but you'll look at your hands and you'll see the blood of their soul on your hands. That's the word picture the Bible gives. I didn't make that up, so let's not think horror story or too gross to actually imagine it. You're supposed to imagine this. God gave you the word picture. So imagine it right now. You have a friend at work, somebody you love in your family, or a community person you see all the time, and you have not told them about Jesus. They'll be judged. You'll look at your hands and you'll see blood, and God will say, I'm holding you partially accountable for what they've done. That doesn't mean now you'll go to hell. It just means in the judgment, you will face shame and embarrassment. And you'll be like, man, I should have done something about that. I feel bad about that. Now, I regret doing that. And you'll feel ashamed in front of God. Like, God, you told me to talk to them. And I was too afraid. I was too shy. I was too busy. And I didn't. That's your Jesus speaking. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so there's, there's nothing really unclear about that. And then it's the same thing with the righteous. If I see you here as a righteous person, right? You're here today. I've already spoke to the wicked. Now you're righteous and you're living in sin. And I don't warn you on judgment day, I'm responsible for your blood. So I'm going to be responsible to tell you now so I don't get held accountable for your blood. You get it? Stop sinning. So if you're here and you call yourself a righteous person and you say you know Jesus and you're in sin now and you're continuing in that sin, Stop sinning. Because on judgment day, the Bible says, since you did not warn them, they will die for their sins. And then look, the righteous things that that person did will not be what? Remembered. So you can't go to heaven and say, well, I used to go to church. Well, I used to do good things. Go to that scripture, Matthew 7, 21, quickly, please. Jesus now speaking, New Testament, says, I will tell you, depart from me, for I never knew you. But I, but I thought God knows everything. Of course he knows, but the word know there is meant to be intimately. God is no longer being the Lord of your life. And when it says, I won't remember your works anymore, it's not like God becomes forgetful. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot you went to church. No, what it means is I don't remember you as a godly person. Does everybody get that? I'm just pausing throughout this message because I want everybody to get it. So some people are going to say uh, to Jesus on Judgment Day, can you go to that passage, please, Matthew chapter 5? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, rather. Matthew chapter 7, I believe it starts, what, around uh, 21? Not everyone who says to me, thank you, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you get that? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's pretty cool. And in your name, drive out demons. Some of y'all haven't even done that, right? So if this is going to happen to these kind of righteous people, what do you think is going to happen to you? And you haven't even seen miracles happen yet. Don't leave your righteousness. Don't leave Christ and his righteousness, rather. Keep serving God. And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now put that together with Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel, please. Jesus says, I never knew you. Ezekiel says, they won't be remembered. Does everybody see the commonality there? Both people are going to say, wasn't I righteous at one time? Both groups, from Ezekiel's times to Jesus' time, because it's talking about the same event, right? But it's in two different uh, generations here. Both of them are going to say, wasn't I righteous? Didn't I do all of this? And God is saying back to them, I don't remember that. I don't know you. Depart from me now. All I see is your evil work. So did the righteous person get their message today? Okay, now here's how you got to take the message. Take it off of me being Ezekiel, telling the wicked to repent and telling the righteous to stop sinning if they're backsliding, turning back towards their sin. And now you be, you be the Ezekiel. You be the watchman. 
Because aren't you now supposed to take that message into all the world? Go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew. Look at what Jesus said very clearly. Matthew chapter 28 is what we call the Great Commission, and the Great Commission should be the mission of every single Christian. Remember uh, Mission Impossible? Anybody remember that? This is your mission should you choose to do it, right? This is your mission from Jesus should you choose to do it. So it's now not just Ezekiel has a mission. Like, oh, that was cool. Ezekiel was a watchman way back then. It's like, no, no, no. You have a mission now too to be a watchman. The prophets are always there for our example. We're not supposed to just look at the Bible and be like, man, that was cool. I'm glad they did that. Like as if we're looking back on Abraham Lincoln. Well, I'm glad Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. I guess I can own a slave now if I want to, but you know. No, you're supposed to look back on Abraham Lincoln and do something about it, even if you couldn't do what Abraham Lincoln did. But it's even greater than that as a Christian. You're not even supposed to look at it as see some dead historical figure. You're supposed to look back on Jesus, different Abraham Lincoln going, Jesus, you're with me now. How am I supposed to act? So how many know if you were walking around saying, I'm cool with Abraham Lincoln and you owned a slave, you would be a hypocrite? How many know that's even more so true if you say, I love Jesus, and you're living in sin, you're a hypocrite? How about this? How many know if you say you love Jesus, but you're not preaching his words, you're still a hypocrite too? Because there's sins of the omission and there's sins of commission. The sins of omissions are the things you were supposed to do, but you did it. And the sins of commission are the ones that you did that you knew you weren't supposed to. So there's just as much of a responsibility for you not doing something as what you're supposed to be responsible to do. So you can't just say, well, I just didn't feel like doing it, so you know, I'm not that bad of a person because at least I didn't murder anybody. Yeah, but let me ask you a question. If someone had the cure to cancer and they could give it to somebody and didn't give it to them and then they died, wouldn't that be the same as murder? I'm going to go through that example slowly for everybody because I know it's Sunday. Let's try it again. If I have the cure for your disease and that disease kills you and I could have given it to you, aren't I guilty of murder? It's the same thing. If I know you're going to hell and I have the cure, Jesus, and I don't give it to you, isn't that the same kind of thing? So omission, things that we don't do that we should do, we're going to be held just as responsible for the things that we did do. So it's not just, I don't fight, I don't cuss, I don't do this. No, the other commands are, you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, worship the Lord and have no other God. So there's things you're supposed to do for God and not do for God. You can't just say, I, I, I don't do bad things. You have to also do good things. Look at what Jesus said. Look at it, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at this part right here. Teaching them to obey what? How many things? Everything. Thank you. I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So how many commands are you supposed to know and teach? All of them. So you are a watchman to this generation. It's not just for me on Sunday to say, oh, if you're wicked, stop being wicked. Or if you're righteous and now you're starting to be wicked again, it's you know, not a good idea. That's just not my job. That's every single person's job. Now scroll up the notes, please, to Acts chapter 20 and see how Paul made this his assignment. He's a New Testament apostle. And this is how all of us are supposed to be as disciples. Because remember, in the church, there's not big eyes like I'm so big and little you's over there in the, in the pews. 
Like, so the pulpit people, we're really big and cool, and then you're really small and puny. No, Paul is my example. Bible says, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as Paul was a disciple, so am I to be a disciple because he received the same mission I did, which was to make disciples of the nation. Now look at the nations. Now look at what he said. He's talking to a group of people he had been with for a while. He's about ready to get arrested and go to Rome and give his life for Jesus. And he says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the what? The whole will of God. Say it one more time. The whole will of God. Thank you. He proclaimed it. Can you say on judgment day to your friends, your community, I am free from the blood of all of y'all? How many know I'm free from the blood of Oprah Winfrey? I've said it enough times, somebody should have sent her the message. How many know I'm free from the blood of Ellen? How many know I'm free from the blood of Trump and Hillary Clinton? I've said it here. How many know I'm, I'm free from the, the mayor of Chicago? I mean, I have said every possible name I can say as an example here to repent. And we've actually put it on Facebook. And if we know these people, we're going to send it to them. Sometimes we tag them in our messages. But even more than famous people, I'm, I'm free from the blood of my sister. See, I lost one of my sisters drinking and driving, and my other sister's still a drunk. I'm free from the blood of my sister who's a drunk. Why? Because every time I talk to her, I teach her about the things of God. I'm free from the blood of my brother. I have taught him the things of God. I am free from the blood of my Hindu neighbors. I have taught them the things of God. The question is now, are you free from the blood of those in your lives that are either wicked or now righteous folks who are living wicked? Because you're going to be held accountable for them. Just like I'm not you and you're not me, we're going to have two different judgment days, my friend. My judgment day will be for what I did here, what I did here, but it will also be in my life, in my family, in my community. But guess what? You're going to have a judgment day too, and it's going to be what did you do in your family, what did you do in your school, what did you do in your life group? How many are ready to be watchmen and women of God? Amen. Let me give you eight things to warn people about, and then we'll roll out. Amen? Number one, you got to warn people about facing God's judgment without being born again. If you know people who are not born again, it is your duty as a Christian to share with them what is going to happen. John 3.16 is very clear. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not what? Perish. In the very verse we love so much, there's a threat. God, are you threatening me? No, it's a promise. Or you consider it a threat and a promise. How you like that, Jack? The bottom line is this. If you're not born again, you'll perish. And then it goes on to say in John chapter 3, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, for the world was what? Condemned already. It was already condemned. So if they say to you, man, you judging me, you condemn. No, I'm not. You are already condemned. Are you, all you have to do is ask him this. Are you living in the Garden of Eden? How did you think you got here? The God who made this place is not happy with the way we've been acting, and he's going to judge you. And as we've talked before, people go, well, then don't judge me, man. Bible says judge not lest ye be judged. Finish the verse for them. For the same measure you judge others by, you yourself will be judged by. So I'm not judging you by my own judgment. I'm not telling you I think you're going to hell because your breast stinks. I think you're going to hell because you're a Sox fan or a Cubs fan. Or you're going to hell because you're a Packers fan. No, I'm telling you what the judge said. I'm not the judge, but can I tell you what the judge said? Let's try it in the culture right now. I'm not the judge at the county court, but can I tell you not to walk around with an open bottle of beer? 
I can tell you what the law says without being the law. I don't have to be a police officer to say when I'm in your car, that thing you just passed wasn't a suggestion. It was actually a speed limit. Oh, who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I didn't write it. I'm not the alderman. I'm just pointing to the thing, telling you what it says. So if you get pulled over with us, with me in the car, and we all go to, uh, you know, jail because they throw us out or whatever, and I love policemen, you know, but, but we all get in trouble for this, that's your fault, dummy, because I told you there's the speed limit right there, okay? And how many have sped before? Let's all be honest. Jesus, help us and forgive us. Amen. And it's even worse when I tell them, yes, I'm a pastor, and I'm on my way to church, and those are my old days, though. Those are my old days. So I got to tell people. The judgment of God is coming. I'm not your judge. I'm not better than you. What are we not getting here? All I'm doing is telling you to read it here. And then if you finish off the passage, it says, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. Take Now, what, what, what does it say, though? Take the plank out first so you can get the speck out. So does it stop with, well, we all got planks. Don't nobody help each other. No, it's supposed to be take the plank out, then you can get the speck out. So we are supposed to help each other get specks out of our eyes. But what do we do first? Get planks out of our own. If we weren't meant to be the ones who share the message, why is Ezekiel being called a watchman, and why didn't God just send Gabriel? Gabriel, would you please go down there, flap your wings, and be a perfect pastor, perfect angel, perfect pastor, a prophet for these people? See, that's not the way it works. We don't have here today like this moment in the service where it's like, and ladies and gentlemen, here comes our pastor all the way from heaven. Angel Gabriel's coming here today. And he comes down. And he's like, let me now tell you the judgments of heaven. All right, you guys got it? Okay. I am perfect, so you can't argue with me. Okay, you got it? Okay. <laughs> we don't do that. I am a man just like you're a man or a woman. We're all humans, right? And God uses humans to spread the message. What was Moses, angel or human? Human, and he said the law of God. What was Ezekiel? Human or angel? Human, and he said he, God called him to be a watchman. What was Paul? What were the disciples? Humans or angels? Humans. So what are humans supposed to do with other humans? Preach to them. Tell them the things of God, okay? So warn people about the judgment to come. Bible talks about that. Number two, warn them about sexual perversion. I don't care what people think about this book or how they want to change it because what they like now in this culture. This book is simple. One man, one woman, and holy marriage. Any questions, class? What about polygamy in the Bible? Sometimes people ask. God didn't like it then, and then in the New Testament, he said, I'm never allowing it again. He only allowed it in the Old Testament for a time, but he never approved of it. There was never a command of it, in other words. And then in the New Testament, he says, this is how it should be, and it will always be. And he only allowed them to divorce in the, the way they were divorcing and to have polygamous relationships like David and Solomon because he said he did that for the hardness of their heart. But now in the New Testament, it is only one man, one woman, period. You're not getting into heaven using David as your excuse. Are you listening? Okay. And then all these same sex attractions and, and, and LGBT stuff. Listen to me. We love the sinner, hate the sin. If it's not in this book, we're not doing it. And then if it's called sin in this book, we're calling it sin. I'm sorry if that offends you, but I'm just telling you what the judge said. Amen. amen. Can I get an amen for that? And it's not just for them. It's for everybody because somebody says, well, man, I like to have sex with the same sex. Well, I like to have a lot of sex with the opposite sex. Do we both get to do that now? Because the Bible calls both the sin. You might say, well, I'm pastor. That's a crazy thing to say. I get tempted. 
How many know since I got married, I didn't, get, I didn't stop getting tempted to have sex with other women, right? Pastors fall all the time. Why have I been faithful to my wife for, you know, almost 13, 14 years now? It's not because I'm not tempted. It's because I pray the Lord's prayer when I'm tempted. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I don't say let's have an adultery pride parade, and now everybody accept me because this is the way God made me as an adulterer. Because I can for sure promise you, I can promise you, I am as much made as an adulterer as they're made a homosexual. Whatever desire they say comes natural to them, I promise you I can say having sex with multiple women comes natural to me. How about this one? Let's get off of sex for a minute. How about the spirit of slap? How many have a spirit of slap on them that comes natural when they hear stupid stuff? So am I supposed to act on the spirit of slap? Because I feel that spirit a lot. I want to slap people a lot in life. I was born this way. Well, you can't do that. Why not? I was born this way. Well, you're not supposed to do it. Well, do you believe in God? No, I believe in the evolution from the goo through the zoo to you. So what makes another monkey stop slapping another monkey? What tells, what tells a monkey in the, you know, in the zoo you can't slap that other monkey? You see, you have to use our common sense to try to have a problem with our God. It's like sitting on his lap and then spitting up on him like a little baby. The only reason why we have sense, logic, reason, morality is because we're made in the image of God. We understand right and wrong, good and evil. And the problem with our culture is, is they're going the way of evil and sexual perversion. They want us to agree with them so that their conscience can be eased. They want the ease of conscience. Just as when you know you're guilty, you want to convince other people you're not just to make yourself feel better. We don't need this for pleasure, by the way. God gives us pleasure in marriage, and if you want to be celibate, that's fine. Jesus was celibate, amen? So if you're not attracted to the opposite sex, only the same sex, and you want to uh, not be led into temptation and not deal with sex, that's fine. There's holy men in the Bible and women in the Bible that never gave in to sex. That's great. But you cannot be having blessed sex outside of marriage with one man and one woman. The next thing that we warn people about is the love of death and violence, we warn them about abortion, suicide, gangs, reckless living. You can't live this way and expect God on judgment to say, judgment day to say, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm cool with you killing babies in the womb. I, I made them. I'm the one that gave them breath and life. I made you. And I'm cool with you taking that life whenever you want and throwing it in the garbage. No, he's not cool with that. God is not going to be cool on judgment day with you coming there because you put a bullet between your head because you didn't like the suffering of this life. The suffering of hell will be worse than the suffering of this life. So every suicidal person needs to know this. I'm not taking anything away from your real suffering and your real tragedy and traumas you're facing. But listen, if your goal is to stop suffering, whatever you do, do not take your life. I am telling you now, I am warning you now, because I will stand there on your judgment day as you're getting sentenced to hell because thou shalt not murder applies to you. It also applies to you. Do you understand that? Amen. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the devil. So I talk to suicidal people all the time. I'm a pastor. I help. Listen, if you're thinking I'm getting out of suffering, I just hate life so much, I want to die. The next thing you're facing is worse than this. I would rather you let me chain you to my house and hide all the guns and give you a rubber spoon to eat your meals with till you meet Jesus than for you to be left alone and hurt yourself saying you couldn't help it. The devil is a liar. That's why suicidal people, they don't jump off the bridge of Looney Tunes at the Woodfield Mall. They go to the highest bridge. They go to the, they go to the Golden Gate Bridge. They have enough common sense to know what gun to pick, where to put it in their mouth. They have enough common sense to write those letters. 
Listen, you will be held accountable. Do you understand me? I love you enough to tell you the truth. Next thing, false religions. It's our job to warn people. Do you love Muslims, yes or no? Yay, we love Muslims. Do we love Buddhists, yes or no? Yay. Do we love Hindus, Roman Catholics, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, Scientologists? We love them all. This pastor loves them. I'll hug them. I'll take them out for lunch. How many know we take Mormons out here and love on them? Man, our guys are always witnessing to these guys. You know, Jehovah Witnesses were in my house the other day. But how many know you can love the person, hate the sin? I love my children. But when they put the wrong answer on the math equation, I tell them it's wrong. I love all of these people, but they're having the wrong way to heaven. Jesus did not say, pray to my mother. Show me that one time he asked us to pray to his mother. You show me that, and I'll pray to the mother of Guadalupe. Show me one time, Paul said, and by the way, pray to me because I can get answers to prayer uh, quicker than you guys can. Come on, somebody. And I mean, and it's just common sense. Islam, false prophet. Jesus comes, brings peace, turns the other cheek, is crucified, It doesn't marry. This guy marries a nine-year-old, starts wars all over the world still to this day. I mean, is there any comparison between Jesus and Muhammad? It's more like Muhammad and Hitler. Come on, let's be honest. Okay, and then, and then Buddhism, as nice as he was, I mean, is the point of life to go under a tree and find yourself in nirvana and all of this? My friends, you can find your little inner peace for a few moments. The Bible says even the devil comes as an angel of light to deceive people. So just because you found a little inner peace doesn't mean you know the God of the universe. And God is not like a force like Star Wars. And that's how they bring in Buddhism into your everyday life, kids. They want to teach you like God is a force and, you know, there's the bad side and there's the good side, the yin and the yang. That is nonsense. God is not like electricity. God made electricity. If God is like electricity, you're greater than God because you have a mind. You can turn it on and off. Just turn off that God then. I don't like him. He's a force. He doesn't have a will. I just turn him off. Our God has a mind, will, and emotions. Our God is a person, not a human person, but a divine, eternal person. Amen? He's not a force. He's not a power. He's not Mother Earth. He is God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has showed us he is God in a hundred different ways, and he has told us clearly, and you can read John 14, 6 on your own, that he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. The next thing we need to warn the world of is pride, selfish ambition, and greed. You see, a lot of times we go, I'm not that bad. I take care of my family. I do these things. But yeah, if you're doing that for a selfish motive, if it's just your four and no more, let me tell you something, Dad. You're going to be held accountable on Judgment Day for not helping out your neighbor's kids. You're going to be held accountable for making sure you had the boat while these people were starving. All of these things come to pride. That's why we give offerings here. We give our best to God. That's why Christians are the most generous people on the planet. We actually go to Muslim nations and help their own people when they won't do it. You, you've heard of them before, like Mother Teresa. Like we go to India and we help the people, the Hindu people do not want to help themselves. Now people may say, what about the Crusades and all of that? Anything done in Christianity that's wicked, we know it's wicked by the standard of the Bible. It doesn't mean we change Christianity, we just call it wicked. I don't agree with the Crusades any more than I agree with uh, a slavery. Those are both aberrations of the truth. But it doesn't make the truth any more true. Are you guys listening? Does McDonald's make the existence of a good hamburger impossible? Because there's a billion of those things around, therefore there cannot be a good hamburger. Are you guys getting the logic here? 
I'm going to explain it to you like this. Because there's bad, does that mean there's not good? Because there's imitations, does that mean there's not an original? Just because people have used the name of Christ and put out a bunch of McDonald's hamburgers and called it Christianity does not mean there's not a Five Guys hamburger somewhere, you know, or a Culver's or someplace you like to get a nice one. Just because Christianity was done wrong doesn't mean there's not an original, a good version of it. You don't like McDonald's, here's what you do. Stop going there. Go to Culver's then, amen? Or go to Chick-fil-A and eat more chicken, right? Get rid of bitterness, ungodly anger, and hatred. We have to tell people bitterness is a trick of the devil to get us to be on Satan's side. Think about it. Satan hurts us through the person. He hurts us through the father that abused us or the the parent that wasn't there or the the lover or the the husband or wife that cheats on us, right, or the friend who, who rejects us. Satan uses these people to hurt us, and then he puts the dart even deeper and says, now never forgive them. They deserve your hatred. He got you both ways. He's like the teenager or the young kid in the line as you're getting ready to drink the water. He, came, he comes up and slaps you. That's the first thing he did wrong. He slaps you. But then he turns around, and then when you ask him what happened, he blames it on your friend, right? So he causes the division. Uh, he hurts you first, and then he causes you the division with your friend. The devil comes and hurts you, and then he points to everybody around you and says it's their fault. I'm not saying they didn't have a place to do in it uh, and they shouldn't, uh, you know, a part to play in it and they shouldn't suffer their own punishment. I believe in justice. But here's my point. Your ultimate anger, your ultimate uh, upsetness shouldn't be with the person but with the devil that's lying to them. That's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what side they're really on because the person who abused you, if they really understood by abusing you, they will be in the lake of fire forever with the devil and his angels. They never would have done it. They were deceived into thinking it was better for them. It felt good or it was something that they got out of it and they put in their mind, this is what I should do. But they were deceived. So they go to hell with the devil and his angels. So why go to hell with them? Because of the sin of unforgiveness. To hell with the devil and all that is wicked and evil. Amen? Racism, ethnocentrism, and injustice. Number one, racism doesn't even, uh, races don't even exist. Well, one race, the human race. Are you from a different planet? Do you have a different genealogy other than mine? Did you come from Adam and Eve? Then we are the same race. So that right there does away with anything to do with racism. And then the other thing, ethnocentrism, my culture is the best, my ethos, my way of doing things, the white way, the Latino way, the black way. And then you watch them all fight with each other because then it's like the Latinos. It's like, are you Central or South American? Are you from Mexico? And then they fight about who has the best tacos or whatever, you know. And then the Europeans, who has the best soccer team, you know. And, and, then, and then the Africans, they argue over whatever the Africans argue about. And the Filipinos arguing with the Islanders, you know, uh, the Polynesian, every group will find something to argue with each other about. And so the idea is we don't do that. We don't do things like that. We look at the world through the eyes of what we would want people done to us. So if you meet people like that, you warn them, you will not do well on judgment day. And then lastly, drunkenness, addiction, the love of pleasure. Go to 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 in closing, please. We cannot put pleasure and the things of this flesh above living for God and expect it to be okay. The thing about the flesh is the Bible literally says it's a pit that is never satisfied. So let me just ask you, without raising hands, without everybody like confirming this because I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed, but how many of you 
used to do things for your flesh, whether it be sexually or an addiction or something, and after you did it, you still weren't satisfied, right? I went there all the time as a young person. Oh, if I just have this experience, it will be so awesome. And then it's not. At the end of the experience, it's over, and now I want more. Oh, if I just had this thing, it's enough. No, it's not. Why do you think billionaires still want more money? If I gave you a billion dollars right now, would you go to work tomorrow? No, but why do you think billionaires keep working? Because they still keep wanting more. Steve Jobs, until the day he died, worked. And that's part of the God image in us. But remember, it gets twisted when we do it for our own pleasure. You're not supposed to do... Pleasure is fine, right? But it's not the purpose of life is pleasure. Because remember, that's what Satan did to tempt us in the garden. When we were in the garden, we had everything, right? We were perfect. We had all the food we would want. But what does the devil do? He shows us the one fruit we can't have. And he says, this is the one you really want. And isn't that the same trick he's been playing around the whole time? You got, I mean, how many of you have been there? I just want to talk to some of the older folks here. You finally get the car you wanted. You get the house you wanted. And then all of a sudden, what? Your neighbor brings you over to their house. And then you're like, man, your house is nicer than mine. I'm telling you the truth, man. I finally moved to a house like I wanted, a five-bedroom house, three stories. Oh, amazing. I love it, backyard, all these things. And then my neighbor brings me over. Hey, man. And he's a great neighbor. Don't get me wrong. He's a great neighbor. But he goes, look what I did. You know, I remodeled this. And I go, oh, I wish I had that kitchen. And then I did this. Oh, I wish I had that now. And within moments, I mean, within moments, I was, I was up on the mountaintop. I was so happy for my house. I was going to put it in better homes and gardens, whatever. I was going to have pimp my crib or, you know, MTV Cribs come to my house. And this is my house. This is an, I've waited my whole life for this house. And then now, come on, let's be honest. I come back from his house, and I'm like, my floor is not as good as his floor. My kitchen is not as good as his kitchen. I don't have tile like he's got the tile. And we do it all the time, all the time. And it happens with Christians just as much as non-Christians because we're still in the same body, right? We're still in the same body. I mean, like you might have just thought you had the greatest Christmas in the world, and then you looked on Facebook on Christmas Day. And then here you are with like your two Kmart shirts and... You're, you're like your one video game, young people, whatever. And then you look at your friend's Christmas and they're in the Bahamas and they're in the brand new car or something, you know? And it's just like, oh, yeah, my Christmas was lame. But when we're smart, we go, no, my Christmas was great because it's the Christmas I had, amen? But this is what the Bible says the end times will be like. Um, Vinny, will you come, please? It says, mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. So we know if Ezekiel had a time to be a watchman, we do too. People will be lovers of themselves. Look at that, lovers of themselves. Isn't this the last days? So why should we be surprised that people are lovers of themselves? That's how the Bible says it would be. They'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal, not lovers of the good. They'll be treacherous. They'll be rash, conceited. Now watch this last phrase that says it all. You want to know what the end times will be like? You're living in it, but here's how you can put it in a phrase. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll look like they're godly, but they'll deny the power thereof. 
So let's, let's, let's put out our binoculars. Let's do a little bit of, uh, not ghosting, but what's it called? Stalking, right? When you look at people's Facebooks, but you're not really their friends or, you know what I'm talking about? Is that called stalking? What else is it called? Lurking, stalking. Okay, so let's, let's do this right now for all of our friends, right? It's not, let's not put it on us. Let's put it on our friends first. Do most of our friends live by that motto? Whatever feels good, I'm going to do it. I love pleasure. But at the same time, as they're going after all that pleasure, are they doing it in such a way that they want you to judge them as being bad, wicked, and evil? No, no, no. How are they doing it? With a form of godliness. But they're really denying the power of God. So who does little Wayne think that he gets to make all that money and do all that heroin? Who does he thank for all of his talents when he gets the chance? He says, I thank what? Who does he thank, young people? He thanks God. You don't know that? Rappers thank God all the time. Who do they thank? God. Who, who do all of these movie stars thank when they get, I want to thank God, I want to thank. So they're all thanking God. So they look on the outside like, man, they're godly. They're godly people. But what are they really? They are really lovers of their pleasure. So watch this in closing. Watch this. I want to be a watchman for you. Are you coming to church because you love him that much? Or do you just love the pleasure, the idea of being a better person? You want to go to heaven and you know, have fire insurance, not go to hell? Because if that's why you're coming here, your God is not really God. Your God is your pleasure. Think about it. Somebody told you, if you don't have God, you go to hell. You love pleasure. You want to go to heaven, so I better get God. But that doesn't mean you really love God. That just means you love the pleasure that God is going to give you. Are you watching how you're living? Because I'm watching you, and God's watching you as, as your pastor, and God's, God's watching you as your Lord and Savior. And he's saying, I want to know what you're really about. And as your pastor, I want to know. Because if you really love God more than pleasure, here's the test. You'll join me and the disciples of this Bible, and you'll give up things for Jesus then. Because when you give me your excuses to why you can't preach, and yet I go preach out there, I'm no busier, you're no more busier than me. I got six kids, I work as a pastor, and I'm not getting paid to go out there. Come on, somebody. And I'm in doctoral school. Why do I take away time for my kids, kiss them all goodbye, and say, I'm going to go drive to Pulaski and Madison where I'm probably going to get yelled at, spit on, and then possibly somebody's going to love us and let us pray for them, right? Amy's saying amen. Why does she go? Because she's giving up the pleasure of sitting home and crafting and doing all what she does with her kids. She's giving up that pleasure to go put on her Eskimo jacket and go preach out there with us. Are you willing to do that? Because I'm watching you as your pastor. Now watch. Here it is. Here it is in closing. you got to watch your friends now and see what they're doing. Are they wicked? Why are they wicked? Because they get pleasure out of it, don't they? That's why they're wicked. Are they someone who used to be righteous and now they're not righteous anymore? you got to watch them. And then you've got to tell them what God says. Are you going to tell them because you're better than them? No, you're going to tell them because you love them. Altar workers, would you come, please? And band, here's how I would do it. Uh, let's take your, you guys going to school. Let's start with high school. 
you got some friends and you're watching their life. I would just go up to them and I would say, hey man, I've been watching you lately. Maybe it's a young lady. I see that you're always going from one relationship to another to another. It seems like you don't want to be alone. Can I tell you the reason why that is? It's because you're looking for something you can't find in a boy, you can only find in God. Right? That's what you need to say to a young lady you've been watching go from boyfriend to boyfriend. How about you young men right here? You see the guy that's maybe lonely, nobody talks to him at school, and you go to him and you say, I've been watching you. And it looks like you don't have a lot of people to hang out with. Can I tell you that I'll be your friend? I want to invite you to my church. Do you know that I said that to one of our young people in the high school? She did that. That young lady that she sat by who had kind of been by herself a lot ended up becoming a Christian, then went to Bible college. And you know who that young lady is now? Stephanie. Do you know Stephanie? Stephanie Santoyo. She is the result, Jason, of me sending young people to high school to find girls, the girls I was talking to, to find girls that maybe sat by themselves or didn't fit in. Isn't that something? How, okay, let me talk to a few of the adults here. You know, got jobs. Let me talk to Alex. So Alex has his own company. He does IT work, you know, helps fix computers and different things. So Alex is going to be similar to my dad, a Christian businessman. He's not going to wear an I Love Jesus shirt everywhere he goes, and he's not going to shout, you're all going to hell at the end of every business meeting. But what he's going to do is he's going to look for opportunities as he's a watchman. He's watching God coming back soon, but he's also watching the people of his generation do this. And he may be like my father and out to lunch with one of his clients and say something like this. Hey, Mike, I notice that you don't have your wedding ring on anymore. Do you mind me asking what's going on with you and your wife? And Mike may tell you that he's now going through a divorce for whatever reason. You can now preach to Mike and say, Mike, God's got a way. It could even save your marriage. Would you be willing to come to church? Would you be willing to let me pray for you? Or let's say you have Ashley working in the financial department or a financial industry. Once again, not wearing an I Love Jesus shirt, not coming with the bullhorn. But you may find a client one day downcast. They're not their normal self. And you may just go to them and say, can I pray for you? I just felt that you needed encouragement today. Now, those are the kinds of things you can do. If your boss says, I don't want you doing that, then just say, okay, sorry, didn't know, now I know, right? But you'll start to find places in your world you can do it. And if at worst people say no, you can live with a no. Can everybody here live with a no? Okay. We can all live with somebody turning us down. We're not their savior. Remember with, with Ezekiel, we're not responsible for changing them. But can we at least put it out there? Okay, one last example. Let's say you're Humberto and you're doing work with the driving instruction, right? You teach people how to drive. Once again, let's say you see a Muslim woman come in there. She's wearing the hijab. You're laughing. Have you done this before? Have you had to teach them? Similar? Okay. I have them in my neighborhood. You could say something simple like this. I see that you're wearing this. Is that because you're a Muslim? Oh, yes, I'm a Muslim. You follow Islam? Yeah, I follow Islam. Have you ever heard about Jesus? Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's one of our prophets. Okay. Can I tell you about Jesus? That's it. Have we, have we offended her? Maybe, but it's our intention? No. Most of the time, will they get offended in those contexts? No. But have we loved her? Yes. 
Is it worth stepping out on a limb? It is. And then those in your family, Cousin Flacco, you can be a little bit more bold with Cousin Flacco. Amen? Cousin Flacco, come over here, man. What are you doing? Cousin Flacco, you crazy? Let me tell you about Jesus, Cousin Flacco. You need Jesus. How many got a crazy cousin? (laughs) If you're not raising your hand, you are that crazy cousin. They're all talking. They're all in that church today talking about you. One last example. One last example. How about the people we meet in everyday life? We're not here to judge them. Maybe we can't watch them so much so we don't know much about them. But how many of you have been at the grocery store, getting your hair cut, everyday places, and God has tapped you and said, talk to them? How many have been there? I've been there all the time. And I feel like many of you guys right now either are not talking to the same Jesus I talk to or he's putting me out there a lot. Oh, you think it's easy for me, man? I get so embarrassed. The reason why I get embarrassed is because I feel like, because here's what you guys probably think. You probably think because I'm a pastor, it's easier. It's actually the opposite. Because I feel like since I'm a pastor, they're just going to give me that cultural respect and just nod their head and it not mean anything. So it's almost like I don't even want to tell them. Because then it's like, oh, you're just going to listen to me because I'm a pastor. You know, like, hey, man, I'm a pastor. Can I tell you this real quick? Sure, tell me. I don't give a rip, but I'm going to listen for 20 seconds because I'm going to pretend I care because you're a pastor. But guess what? When you do it, they don't know why you're doing it. You're not a pastor. Why should you stop at the grocery line and go, Hey, man, I saw some of these tattoos on you, man. What does that mean? Oh, that means this and that. Or I saw this. Or you know what? God just told me to tell you this. Can I pray for you? Man, are you a pastor? No, I'm just a Christian. You know how much more meaningful that is? So you think it's easier for me. It's actually harder. That's why when people meet me, they always put up a wall. So here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to be the best watchman you can go be, and I'm going to go be the best watchman I can be. Amen? And when we come back here next week, we're going to come with more people because some of them are actually going to listen to us warning them and be like, man, yeah, you're right. You know like the lesbians and and homosexuals and bisexuals we have here? Do you know that most of them didn't even put up much of a fight? Most of them were like, Yeah, I kind of knew the Bible said that, and I've been doing this for a while, and it doesn't feel right, but I've been trying to do it, and I'm willing to listen, even those folks, even the others like gangbangers. Man, we used to have a gang ministry here, and we would go out and reach gang. We have gang leaders. We don't point them out, but some of them were like chiefs in their gangs. Am I not telling the truth, Amy? Chiefs in their gangs. And you would think like, there is no way that dude is going to listen to us. That dude comes to our church now. Because somebody met him on the west side in the street and it was just like man I don't know who you are and I'm not a pastor and I'm not getting paid to do this but I just came out here to tell you man God's got a better plan for you to be on this corner because I watch you on this corner I see what you're doing on this corner they may get upset they may feel judged but no matter what they'll know there was a watchman around amen let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today come on watchmen father we ask you to make us watchmen in the name of Jesus, to be world changers, history makers, and roof breakers in this generation. Before we go, if you need any prayer, come up to these altar workers and we'll pray with you. But before we go, you can start coming even now, but before we go, I just want to make sure you feel that you